So the big question is this, how do investors like us get access to the ideas, information, and most importantly, the right people that give us the tools and information we need to make informed and educated decisions to have success? That is the question, and this podcast will give us the answers. This is Mark Moss, your host. Let's get this started. Welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Jake Yocum Piet from Zeal LLC and the project lead of Decred. We get into what it takes to be a project lead, what it takes to build in the blockchain space and how he's going about doing that. We get into Decred Project. We talk about the changes in governance that they think are working really well for them, where that may go into the future. We talk about privacy, why we need it, why we should have it, and what they're doing about bringing privacy back to the blockchain. Some really cool stuff there. Some other stuff that we talk about includes um, buying, selling, and exchanging in peer privacy, including a new uh, DAEX, a new DEX that they're building. Lots of other good conversations with Jake. So let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors podcast. Today, I am joined by Jake Yocum Payet. He is the project lead over at Decred and has been writing some cool articles, working on a lot of cool stuff. I can't wait to talk to him. So uh, welcome, Jake. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. So um, yeah, I kind of gave a little bit of an intro, but why don't you just kind of fill us in a little bit on on uh, who you are and, and uh, maybe how you got to where you're at right now and, and working on uh, Decred on the project. For sure. Um, I'm Jake Yocampai. I'm the project lead for Decred and I've been working in the cryptocurrency space since uh, late 2012, early 2013. And uh, my history is really, you know, to keep it extremely brief is I started working in the Bitcoin space on an alternative full node Bitcoin implementation called uh, BTC Suite and worked on that for a while. And my perception of Bitcoin is that despite being, you know, excellent technology and, and really, you know, really uh, a great project, is that I felt that the governance system of it was pretty unfair. And I found that uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty jarring and not exactly the, the best user experience from my uh, position. So I ended up uh, working with uh, two, a couple other people to create a, you know, a set of changes on top of Bitcoin that we felt would make Bitcoin a, you know, a fairer game. That is that not just make it fair from storing and, and transmitting value, but make it fair from the perspective of governance. So that was really what we launched the project with a focus on. And that's sort of, uh, you know, that's our, our, our main focus. And, and uh, when, when was that, that you launched the Decred project? Oh yeah, that was uh, February 2016. So that's like three and a half, a little over three and a half years ago now. So we've been in production since February 2016 and the work to create Decred started back in February 2014. So it took us a couple of years to get everything, you know, set and ready. And then we launched with a, you know, working code and everything. So like the first four years you were kind of in, in, in and around Bitcoin, cryptocurrency space, um, you were fascinated by Bitcoin and then working on Bitcoin with, with some other projects? Kind of learning yeah. how to code and develop on it. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I myself am not a developer, but I work with a I've, I've worked with a team of developers now for you know over ten years, and, and we had approached Bitcoin from the perspective of saying you know what could we really bring to the table, and what we felt we could bring to the table was some diversity in terms of the uh, ecosystem for full node clients, because in the case that you know let's just say something bad were to happen to say Bitcoin Core hits a nasty bug then there's you know, at least one implementation that presumably wouldn't have those same bugs so that the network can keep ticking over and people can fix their bugs and get everything back online without it being a, you know, sort of a coordination mess. 
Mm-hmm. Now, um, when, when you first kind of came in in 2012 and, and uh, as we kind of say, like fell down the rabbit hole, so to speak, um, were there a couple of core kind of principles that really grabbed you and, and, and pulled you in? What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, what really drew me and I think, you know, whether people realize it or not, you know, drew them to the Bitcoin game was that it's that it's a fairer game. You know, if you've been if you've been using fiat currency for, you know, most of your life and then you see something like cryptocurrency, it it, it really is striking in that it it avoids many, many problems that you end up having with banks. Anyone who's ever had a problem with a, you know, with a bank, whether it's losing an account or, you know, <laughs> exactly, uh, or, or any other kinds of problems, re- recognizes how much power banks have over you. And, and what Bitcoin did that I thought was really amazing is that it distilled out what banks, you know, the sort of the leverage the banks have, which is that they can create a timestamp on your transactions and no one else can. So what they did is they decentralized the timestamping process. And that's, you know, that really drew me in and, you know, and kept my attention. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, there's so many different facets to Bitcoin and and cryptocurrencies. And obviously with Bitcoin and and being censorship resistant is one. So the banks can't seize it or steal it. And then obviously the hard cap, so it can't be inflated and manipulated. (laughs) And uh, you like those core principles about Bitcoin? You just thought maybe there were some tweaks in the governance that that could be made? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's clear that Bitcoin works, right? You know, proof of work is a really effective means of coming to a consensus. Even, you know, you, you know centralization problems with hardware aside, it, you know, it really does uh, change the game. And it makes the process at least nominally permissionless. You can, you can store and transmit value without anyone going, hey, I don't like you. We're going to, you know, close your Bitcoin account. And, and that is really just... Uh, you know, that all worked. The thing that I felt like really didn't work was the component where you go, okay, what changes are we going to make to the network? Are we going to make consensus changes? Are they going to be soft fork changes? Are they going to be hard fork changes? That process is incredibly messy. And uh, the one CPU, one vote mechanism that was proposed by Satoshi originally doesn't work out so great when, uh, you know, all, let's say the bulk of the hash power is in warehouses in one jurisdiction, which would be China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, did a lot of that come from, I mean, I guess you started working on this previous to the forks that happened in 2017. So you had kind of maybe seen some uh, issues with the consensus uh, before, before all that forking, the fork wars or the nerd wars happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, what, what, the pattern we saw was this, is that, is that the existing uh, Bitcoin core and then, you know, what, what became Blockstream is that that group of developers, while, you know, while very talented and, you know, they have a lot of chops and they've delivered a lot of great code. It, it ends up being a small central planning committee. So as much as Bitcoin, you know, with the ability to, you know, uh, store and transmit value without censorship is great. The system itself going, okay, where's this system going to go in the future is, you know, controlled by a central planning committee, which is a, a small number of people have an, an outsized amount of influence over the the repository for the Bitcoin, you know, for Bitcoin Core. And then as a function of that, they are the people who are in charge of the government, or, you know, what's effectively the government of Bitcoin. And I felt like that system was, you know, something I've never really liked about the Federal Reserve is that it's a central planning committee. You know, you and I, we might, no matter how much money we have, we can complain all day or, you know, we might know somebody at the Fed, but we're not going to be able to influence their policy. And, I, and that, that was roughly the situation that uh, I found myself in back in, I guess it was really like late 2013 when that really all started to sink in for me. 
So, so give me a rough overview of how that, how you, how you've kind of tried to fix that. Like what does the consensus mechanism look like on, on the Decred project? Yeah. So, so what I recognize is I recognize there were really three shortcomings to, you know, to Bitcoin in my mind. One of them being that, uh, that miners had too much power. That is, you know, if you looked at what happened with, uh, you know, in, from, I think it was 2014 until 2017 with the uh, SegWit change set. So SegWit is a set of consensus changes. Everyone, not everyone, but it seemed like the vast majority of people wanted them implemented, but the, uh, the community of miners did not. So they effectively blocked that consensus change from being implemented for the better part of three years. And, uh, and you know, seeing that, miners just have too much power. The other thing that, uh, that I experienced was is because, uh, you know, I built out BTC Suite and I, I financed it myself was there's a real tragedy of the commons with respect to development work, right? You know, you want to, let's say, you know, there's a team of 100 people who want to make Bitcoin great. It's like, becomes a question, okay, who's going to pay you? And then what are the, you know, what, what is your, uh, what's your paymaster's agenda? And then, you know, that's a question mark. And then the, you know, the other thing is, is that uh, there's really just no sovereignty, you know, no matter how many big, you know, even if Satoshi wanted to change things, Satoshi couldn't really change anything because the governance mechanism is all vested in the, uh, you know, in the miners. So I felt like there was a misalignment of interests there because somebody could mine and just dump all their coins and, and still have an enormous amount of sovereignty in that system. And I felt like that was a fundamental misalignment. So these things combined with reading about a hybrid proof of work, proof of stake, uh, you know, consensus system is what led me to, to say this, you know, this hybridized consensus algorithm is really the, what I see as the future of, uh, you know, of, of consensus. Doesn't a lot of the power lie in the nodes who actually decide which version of the software to run and not the miners? There's something to be said for sovereignty being vested uh, outside of the miners. But, you know, when it comes down to it, someone has to mine the currency and the mining is where the security comes from. So I would argue that the miners have a lot of, a lot of sovereignty. The people uh, developing the, the software have a lot of sovereignty, but the people holding the coins really don't have a whole lot of sovereignty. And then when it comes to node operators, it depends on which node operators you're talking about. Like, like let's say I'm a random person and I have a node running and I go, ah, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to not follow the, these consensus rules. Everyone else is like, yeah, I don't care. Bye-bye. And I feel like, uh, you know, however, there are other nodes that are economic nodes, like say, uh, you know, nodes at major exchanges and payment processors that have, you know, an, an outsized amount of power implicitly, um, you know, as a function of their role in the ecosystem compared to, uh, you know, just random people operating full nodes. So there is, there is a little bit of sovereignty all spread around, right? We could all do the, the user activated soft fork thing and threaten to walk out of the room and be like, fuck this, I'm out of here. But, uh, but, you know, I don't think, I don't really view that as much, uh, sort of, it's sort of like a, it's like a riot switch. Like if, if, if you do the wrong thing, everybody's going to riot and leave or flip over cars, but right. it's, it's not a very good governance mechanism. Got it. And so through, through the governance me mechanism that you've done, you, you, you touched on a couple things. Um, one, we talked about the consensus and, and having some, some sort of like a hybrid POW POS system, a proof of work and a proof of stake. So the proof of stake, the people who hold the coins, you said, who don't have a vote, I guess now they're staking those coins. So they do have skin in the game. Now they do have a vote. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. So, so each block subsidy in our system is split three ways, 60% proof of work, 30% proof of stake, 10% uh, treasury. 
And the way it works is, is that the miners uh, proof of work create the blocks. And then what proof of stake does is that you, you opt into a ticket system. So you lock your coins, you time lock them for a pseudo random amount of time. And then your, your, your coins turn into tickets. The tickets go into a rolling lottery and every block five of these tickets are, are chosen to vote. And what you're voting on is you're voting on the validity of the prior block. And so if there's a proof of work miner and they're misbehaving, it is conceivable that you can strip them of their mining reward uh, from the previous block. So that, so that what this does is this puts the proof of stake miners in, you know, firmly in control of what does and doesn't happen uh, on the network. So that if there's a malicious or a group of malicious proof of work miners, the proof of, you know, the stakeholders can effectively censure them and deprive them of income to sort of, you know, to at best discourage their continued sort of, uh, you know, bad behavior. And would that and, be done by some sort of like a majority vote? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, every block there's five tickets called you need at least three of them to vote or to be included in order for the block to be valid. So if 50% or more, uh, uh, yeah, 50% or more of the votes are yes, the block is valid. If there's 50% or more no votes, the block is invalid. So, um, you know, if enough of the stakeholders on a, on a rolling basis disapprove of things done by certain proof of work miners, they can go through and start, you know, invalidating the proof of work rewards that those miners receive. Right. But who, who's, who's actually voting though? Like, like today, I mean, who's voting? Is there like a small group of people who are actually paying attention and taking the time to vote or how, how is that being done? Yeah. So, so the way it works is, is this, is that as blocks, uh, people run things called voting wallets so that as let's say block N is mined and then it, it propagates across the network. What that does is that sets a, uh, you know, that sets a pseudo random uh, sortition of the tickets. So that block and its header go, these are the tickets that are going to vote in block N plus one, excuse me. And then those votes end up getting cast. So, uh, so people have wallets that are online continuously that are ready to vote when uh, the blocks are published. And, that, uh, and what you can do is, whether we're talking about voting on the, the validity of the prior blocks proof of work, or we're talking about making consensus changes, people can pre-program their, uh, you know, their, uh, how they would like their voting wallets to vote. So if there's a certain behavior that you want to vote against, for example, let's say you saw the mempool and it has a bunch of transactions in it, and then you see a block that's been mined that has no transactions in it. You can have a policy set such that you vote no to that block and, and you know, correspondingly strip the uh, miner of their reward. So, yeah. so this process is generic. And then, and then the same thing goes if you're voting on consensus changes. You can vote yes or no or abstain from votes depending on uh, you know, uh, what vote bits are available to you. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to unpack there and I can keep asking <laughs> questions, but I kind of want to move on past that. Um, one thing that I do want to touch on before we dig into some other stuff I was kind of looking forward to is, is you mentioned about the 10% uh, goes to like the development fund, I guess. And so I think you'd kind of said like with Bitcoin, the problem is, is that developers aren't getting paid. So I guess everybody's kind of doing it for free. Um, and so what kind of long-term problems could that have in development on Bitcoin, whereas uh, your project, Decred, has um, a reward going to pay um, developers. Is that kind of what you were talking about? Um, all right. So what I was saying is uh, we, could spend, we, could, we could spend a lot of time talking about uh, talking, talking about those, that, that area of governance. I don't really want to dig too much deeper into that, but you mm -hmm. did mention something about the, um, 10% of the, of the inflation going to fund the treasury or to fund the development and how, um, other projects like Bitcoin don't have any, uh, payments going to the developers. Um, 
And so I guess you're saying that Bitcoin potentially could be stunted because eventually it could run out of people willing to work for free. And Decred has a model where people get paid to work on it. Yeah, that's right. So we have a we have a contractor model where where uh, for example, there's a company that that I own and I'm the CEO of Company Zero LLC, and it's a development contractor, and it's one of you know many contractors that work for the project. Whereas with Bitcoin, Bitcoin is dependent on uh, vet, you know mostly venture capital money at this point. I don't think there's any shortage of the venture capital money at this point. But in the future, you know, there's no guarantee that in the future there, you know, that th th those funds won't run out. So, um, so what the way Decred handles is 10% of every block goes to a centralized corporate entity, and then that corporate entity, uh, Decred Holdings, uh, Decred Holdings Group LLC, pays out to uh, contractors who bill for the work that they perform, which includes, you know, Company Zero and and uh, you know, probably about 50 other uh, contractors. Yeah. And we can definitely see that um, Decred is working on a lot more projects than Bitcoin. So some of the projects I've seen you working on, which um, I saw one was voted on by the community to build a DEX, right? A decentralized exchange, with, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, you're also working on some um, privacy stuff, some lightning um, stuff, atomic swaps. So I guess that kind of allows you, the, the community, to kind of work on more projects like that. Yeah, when we, when we when we started Decred, we started it intention. We made a constitution to to try to manage people's expectations a bit. And one of the things we we said is we said we would continue building open source software that's you know related to the cryptocurrency space. And the Dex is a great example of that, where we're trying to sort you know the same way we're, we we made an effort to make the uh, governance process fairer. We're trying to make the exchange process fairer, so there's no you know KYC AML. There's no, uh, you know, there's no requirements about, uh, you know, things you have to do. You pay a, an upfront fee to get on a server and then you can trade and then the order matching is pseudo random. So no one can game you on a first in first out basis like they do on most uh, fiat exchanges. And then, you know, you know, with privacy and all of these other things, the funding does give us latitude to do, uh, you know, to do new stuff. And we also don't have to depend on the approval of, you know, the, the, the venture capitalists who would otherwise fund this say, say the same way that uh, Bitcoin does. Did you see today um, uh, the, the group Anonymous pledged to donate $75 million for Bitcoin development for privacy? That was pretty amazing. I was surprised to see that. I think it's pretty interesting. I, I, I did see that as well. And, and I guess my, you know, my feeling is it's, uh, we've seen so many ICOs who have you know, a mega pile of money and you know, they just sort of you know, uh, piss it away on random stuff or they don't really get a whole lot of work done. It's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that. You know, one, whether the funds are, you know, do exist and, sure. you know, two, whether people actually build useful stuff. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of good that could come out of it, but it, it remains to be seen. I'm always skeptical. I'm a, I'm a deliverables before promises kind of guy. Sure. I just thought it was interesting because they want to donate it towards privacy focused stuff. And, and that's kind of where I wanted to focus our conversation today um, because I saw you released a, a paper a few months ago talking about privacy and, and how uh, kind of kind of some of the shortcomings you see or some of the needs of privacy in the industry and how uh, you want to start optimizing for that. So um, I, I personally like to see more companies such as yourself seeing, seeing the need for that and optimizing towards that. Uh, but tell me, tell me how you look at uh, privacy, uh, maybe as as something that we need and and something that maybe Decred can help solve. For sure, yeah. I mean, when we launched, our focus was just on the governance stuff, but we always had an eye to adding privacy. I'm a total privacy nut. 
I'm probably way more of a computer security nut than, than most of the people who work on the privacy projects. And um, I feel like privacy is really important in the context of cryptocurrency because it's, you know, it, it's, it's a value transfer system. If you don't have privacy in a value transfer system, somebody can use, say, uh, you know, something like chain or chain analysis to look at your entire net worth, all the transactions you ever had, and then figure out who the people are who are interacting with you and so on and so on. So I feel like, you know, privacy is really about uh, preventing people from knowing more, you know, learning things about you without your consent. And, and, and that I view as something very, you know, very important because if we, if we look at a world without privacy, which is really kind of where things have been heading for the past decade or two yeah. or, or five and, uh, or more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or ever since the development of radio. So, yeah. uh, so privacy has been diminishing and, and the issue there is, is that when you have no privacy, people can always tell what you're doing currently. And, you know, humans are creatures of habit. If you know what someone's doing currently, you have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be doing in the near future or in the, or in the distant future. So privacy matters from the perspective of control. If someone knows what you're going to do before you do it, even if it's just a, you know, probabilistic relationship, they can outmaneuver you. They can manipulate what you, what you believe or what you, you know, or, or how you feel about things. So, so privacy matters in the context of us creating a society that functions with a bunch of independent, uh, you know, elements, as opposed to sort of a top-down society where somebody with a satellite can tell, you know, where everybody's going, where everybody's been, and where they will go. So, you know, it, it's really, it's really about freedom and what kind of a society we want to live in in the future. Yeah, and I think one thing that's important for most people to understand is it's not just about like secrecy. It's not just like I don't want this drug deal to be known. Um, let's say that I I'm a manufacturer of a product and I have multiple companies buying from it, um, and I do a transaction with with company A. I don't maybe want all the other companies to know what I sold that product price. You know what the price of that product was sold for. So like that that should be that should be private, right? Nobody needs to know what that deal was, um, and so. I think everybody could understand like you wouldn't want everybody in the world to be able to look into your bank account and see exactly how much money you have in your bank and, and what you were spending and, and not because you want to buy drugs, but just because <laughs> you want some privacy there. Right. Um, and so that's the thing with Bitcoin, I guess, being, being open to everybody, you can see all of that. And, and so, um, so, so how does, uh, how, how are you approaching privacy and what are you looking to do to solve that? So our, our approach to privacy was based on, uh, you know, having the luxury of observing what everyone else did for several years before we really made a move. So we saw, um, we saw, you know, a couple the two biggest projects for privacy are uh, probably, uh, you know, Zcash and Monero. Monero was first in the game and they did ring signatures and then they added confidential transactions afterwards and then they turned it into bulletproofs. And the problem, you know, that I saw with, with Monero was I like ring signatures. I like confidential transactions, but, um, the thing that occurred to me right away when I first saw it in, you know, early 2014 was as soon as you create ring signatures, you create, uh, you know, deniability about how, um, about which transactions are spent and which are not. So once you don't know which transactions are spent, um, you end up in a, in a scenario where you can't prune the blockchain. So if I want to go, if I just want to throw away all the spent transactions, I can do that with Bitcoin and I can do it with Decred, but I can't do it with, with Monero. And that's sort of, you know, it's, it's by construction. So they have something they call pruning, but it's really kind of like, it's more database sharding. 
it's, uh, you know, it's, it's great, for, you know, it's a great project for privacy, but not for pruning. And then, uh, you know, Zcash has actually the same problem, which is that if you're using shielded and, transactions. And the, prune, the pruning is uh, being able to cut the database size down so that it's, uh, it stays small enough for people to run nodes on. Is that what the pruning is? Yeah, yeah, that, that's part of it. But I think that the, the term pruning, at least, you know, it comes from the context of Bitcoin, where you can always determine whether something is spent or not. So what it really is, is it's throwing out the old transactions that have already been spent. Like, you know, for example, you don't care where every penny that you, you have in your pocket came from. You just care that you have them. And, and, and correspondingly, then, you know, the database for the network should only care about where that penny is as opposed to where that penny was. And, and you know, when you use ring signatures or you use shielded transactions with Zcash, you can't tell where that penny was uh, because it could have been any of these various pennies that are on, you know, that use privacy. So you can't tell where, you know, where things have come from, where they're going, and then also whether they're spent or not. And that's something that really drove our, own, you know, the decisions we ended up making, which is because we saw the, you know, the consequences and sort of uh, of these other systems, we thought we really want to do privacy, but we really want to avoid uh, anything that breaks pruning. So, so what we ended up doing is we ended up uh, implementing Coin Shuffle Plus Plus, which is based on a paper by. Um, uh, Ruffin, Moreno, Sanchez, and Kate, and um, what that is is it's you know it's it, it's a it's a way of shuffling coins that doesn't break. That's pruning. like a, that's like a coin join. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's a special kind of coin join. So it's a it's a dice mix coin join. The, the idea being, when you have a coin join, right? You know, a whole bunch of let's say seven people show up and they all join their transactions together, and they do it either through a central server or through a peer to peer network. So that those seven people and possibly a server know where the where the funds came from and where they're going. Now that's obviously not great because you know then all of us you know everyone who participated knows where things went. So that's not great from a privacy perspective. All you need is one person spying on the mix and it's and it's toast from a privacy perspective. So what coin shuffle the coin shuffle element does is it is it is it allows everyone participating to 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 uh, communicate cryptographically, exchange keys, exchange some uh, some blinded cryptographic information, and then the outputs become decoupled from the inputs. So while let's say there's seven of us and we might be able to identify here's this cluster of inputs, here's this in cluster of inputs, and so on. What we can't do is we can't determine where the funds went, and neither can the server. So that's sort of the that's why we were drawn to coin shuffle and then it, it you know coin shuffle plus plus and it didn't uh, break pruning so it's a straightforward process that uses basic cryptographic primitives and allows you to shuffle coins in a way that uh, you know in addition to uh, in addition to it being anonymous to or you know uh, what is it private to everyone in the transaction including the server it also doesn't depend on network privacy which is you know which is something that I feel like is a shortcoming of uh, schemes that use blind signatures. For example, Wasabi Wallet does that, and I think that the Wasabi Wallet system is really—it's really quite great because it's even—I would argue—it's even simpler than Coin Shuffle Plus Plus. But it has the downside that if somebody can undo your network path, then they can de-anonymize you. So, um, like with Wasabi, which would be used with Bitcoin for for the listeners that aren't keeping up with that uh, technical explanation there. For Wasabi, it's like an external application. So I could use it as my wallet and the Bitcoin I receive, I can shuffle through there or mix them and then put them into my wallet. Um, but you're talking about taking this a similar situ, um, system, but different, um, but building it into the protocol as opposed to having it be an external system. 
That's right. So what we did is we integrated it with our directly with our wallet. And then what we also did is remember how I was talking about um, this ticket process where you lock coins to, to buy tickets, the tickets are involved in the, in the staking, is we intentionally overlaid the system with our staking system. Because on any, on any given day about, uh, I want to say it's like 1.6, it's either 1 point, between 1.6 and 2% of our, of our entire issuance is being used to buy new tickets every day. So we figured that by having a system like this and then also being able to overlay it with our existing stake, uh, you know, with our existing, existing stake infrastructure, we would get a lot of uh, transaction volume that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get with a normal mixer, say with, with Bitcoin. In the case of Bitcoin, you're going to have a bunch of coins moving through it, but those coins uh, are, are, you know, it's only going to be so much of the, you know, the total issuance. There's going to be a lot of people who just don't use it. Whereas with, with the way we've set it up is 50% of all the coins are staked. And I think at this point, I want to say it's like, uh, uh, like 20% or 25% of the, uh, of the staked coins are moving through this system already. So then uh, back to the Bitcoin analogy. So then they have an external mixer, mixer like Wasabi. And if there's not enough people using it, there's not enough coins to mix together. So it's not really mixed up as well as it could be versus you're saying with Decred because people are staking on the system and you're doing the mixing on the protocol. You have a larger percentage of coins to mix through. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, you know, I, I'd expect it in absolute terms. I wouldn't be surprised if say Wasabi wallets, you know, net, uh, net amount mixed and sort of fraction of the UTXO set and then the value of that. It's, I wouldn't be surprised if it's greater than Decred's, but Decred's market cap is still lowish. And uh, I, I, you know, I wanna say we're, we're, let's say it's 20%, 20% of all of the coins staked is you know, 20% of 50%, that's 10%. I think our market cap is something like, you know, uh, something like 230 or 240 million. And that's like 23, $24 million worth of, worth of you know, coins that are all being mixed together on an on and this isn't just you know one shot and then they then they go dormant in most cases these coins are continuously or semi-continuously mixed yeah what do you think about um the the future i mean i guess you're obviously building for this right now but like the future of the coin mixing the coin joining the privacy type coins i mean we're starting to see so much crackdown and regulation on that right now i mean you're obviously building into it uh, how do you think about that? Like the increasing regulation, but also the you know increasing demand for that. How do you balance that? I mean, we you know we did create the system as an opt-in system on purpose, so that you know people aren't necessarily forced to use it. But in terms of regulation, I mean, my sense of it is is that it seems like people are going to the exchanges first, and they're trying to sort of create liquidity problems, which in part of this is why we, you know, we decided to build the DEX, which is that the DEX allows us to sidestep uh, things like, let's say at some point in the future, uh, anyone operating a regulated centralized exchange is pressured by the, their local nation state government to not list Decred. Um, the DEX sidesteps that. The DEX is effectively something like an email server anyone can set up anywhere. There's no custody involved and it's, you know, it's, it's low risk to operate or low to no risk to operate. So, so this process of uh, dealing with regulations is that the way I view it is, is that it's, it's really all about on-ramps and off-ramps. They're trying to restrict the on-ramps and off-ramps and we're already working on building a solution that won't just work for us, but hey, let's say Zcash and Monero experience issues with their on and off-ramps. They are absolutely welcome to get support added to our decks and then you know, do their own thing.
Yeah. And then part of the big thing with coin joining and or coin mixing, uh, if you will, or even with the privacy coins is, is uh, to promote the fungibility, which means that they're all equal to be exchanged like a dollar bill would be. And a dollar bill, I don't know, what is it? 90% of dollar bills have cocaine on them, for example. So if they said, hey, if that dollar bill was ever used for a drug deal, it's no good anymore. We can't, the bank can't take it. Um, but they're trying, I, I, I think maybe some exchanges might already, or some people might say, hey, we don't want to accept that Bitcoin if it came from some blacklisted wallet or something. Um, so is that, is that something big that you're seeing there? That's why you, that's what you think? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the direction I think things are going, which is that, um, the, you know, the, the way nation state governments have chosen to deal with uh, bad actors is rather than try to catch bad actors in the act doing bad things, what they've done is they've tried to turn all of the sort of the systems that we use to advance ourselves as a human society into surveillance tools so that, you know, uh, if they could, they'd put a camera and microphone in every pair of shoes and have it spy on you to just make sure you're not misusing the shoes. I mean, that's how things work with, you know, both our fiat financial system you know, right. uh, what is it traveling anywhere? It's the same deal. It's a uh, treat, you know, they assume everyone's a criminal until you prove that you're not. And it's like, it, it, it's these kinds of systems, in my view, build a society that is not, uh, you know, it's not the kind of society I want to live in in the future. I want to build a society where, you know, you assume most people are good and most people are nice. And, you know, you don't assume that people are going to misuse the shoes to kill people and, yeah. you know, things like that. Okay, so um, so you were talking about with the coin shuffle and the coin join, and basically we're breaking that history so there's nothing to be traced back, and it doesn't cause harm to everybody else, right? So I was kind of giving the example that um, recently we saw BitMEX, they have to capture KYC, know your customer on everybody, and then they accidentally sent customer data out. Or we've seen like with Experian, they were hacked, and all those people data got hacked, and so I'm really putting 99% of the people at risk to potentially catch 1% of malicious actors. Um, and I was just kind of saying that's kind of like the original ideology, I think, of the cypherpunks, right? To um, not have to capture more information than you need. And so um, I like that initiative that you guys are doing. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's important to... Uh you know, to, to build systems where you're, you're not taking custody of people's data. It's just, a, it's just a better way to build the infrastructure so that at no point can, you know, somebody put screws to me and have it, you know, ruin, you know, ruin your personal information or have people, you know, identity, uh, you know, steal your identity. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I like a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing. I'm curious, is, uh, how, how do you look at it? Um, is it kind of like a competition to see who can build the best product out there? Or, you know, is it, is it kind of, are you taking an approach like almost like with your decks where like, hey, we're doing what we're doing, but we're also doing it for the good of the community? Well, I think that the, the pattern with, say, Bitcoin, what Bitcoin did is Bitcoin uh, removed the oracle of timestampers. You know, normally you used to used to have to go to a bank and they would be the 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 official timestamper of transactions, and that's just how it was. And everywhere else that you went to get have timestamping done, there was one person who did it, and they turned timestamping into a game. We turned Decred at its launch turned uh, turned um, uh, voting into a game, so we turned decision making into a game. Where instead of it just being me making all the decisions as the project lead, we collectively make decisions together. And then you know the Dex is. Uh, making a fairer game out of the exchange process. So, we, you know, the exchange process is one way right now. And, you know, our, our, our vision is to turn it into a fairer game in the future. And I, I expect that, you know, it's fair for you and uh, your viewers to expect more of that kind of material out of Decred. Whether everyone else benefits or not, uh, you know, 
there's, there's a path that we take and we remove oracles. If you get in our way and cause us grief, we will, uh, we will engineer you out of the equation. And so, and I, and I don't mean that as like a veiled threat, uh, you know, of physical violence. Uh, it's more, uh, it's more just a, a question of how, you know, what kind of a society do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a society where an old guy behind a desk can tell, can, you know, remove all of your, your, your money from your account? Or do we want to live in a society where, where it's fairer and more balanced and people are, you know, self-sovereign? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, one last thing I want to kind of get into is just um, you, you kind of mentioned how the market cap is pretty small today compared to, to, to Bitcoin. I mean, it's obviously much larger than a lot of the other altcoins that are out there. Um, but but um, I know you have this hybrid system of POW and POS. So uh, how do you look at uh, withstanding attacks against the network? You know, seeing as you do have a smaller network or, or market cap, uh, but you have this hybrid consensus. So like, how do you guys look at that? Well, what it does is that um, the hybrid consensus algorithm, beyond the fact that it puts the stakeholders in charge versus the mine, you know, as opposed to the miners in pure proof of work, it also makes it much more expensive to run majority attacks, also known as 51% attacks or the, you know, the Finney attack, is that, you know, you can't mine a chain in private without the stakeholders. So if you're going to try to, uh, you know, make a deep reorganization, which is typically the way that you're going to make a damaging uh, majority attack, you need a really large segment of the stake and you need a really large segment of the proof of, you know, of the mining power. So it makes it roughly, you know, 10, you know, 10 to 10 to 30 X uh, more expensive to run a majority attack on Decred than say on a pure proof of work uh, cryptocurrency. So, you know, sort of pound for pound, we're, we're 10 X or, or, or more resistant to double spend attacks than, than a pure proof of work cryptocurrency. Because they also have to stake the coins as well as, as have the hashing power. Yep. Yeah. So you'd have to, you'd have to buy 25% of the town just to try to burn it down is kind of, you know, the, the, the scenario you end up in. So it's like uh, the amount of, you need a whole bunch of stakeholders who hold a bunch of coins to collude with the miners. And then what would happen is, is if that, you know, an attack like that gets executed, the value of the coins drops. So then it's like, why would anyone collude with the miners to do that? Yeah. So what do you see being the future of Decred in the next you know, one, three, five, ten years. I mean, uh, are you looking to be just another uh, payment coin, or are you looking to develop more into a platform that have other applications built on it? Working, where do you see the future? Well, what we're doing is, is that you know, we're we're uh, you know, we're following in the steps of Bitcoin in the sense that we're focusing on being a store of value first. Um, store, the store of value, prop, value proposition is really what drives most of the value to say Bitcoin. So I think it's fair that, that we continue along that path. The idea being that we're trying to create a, you know, a secure, um, adaptable and sustainable store of value for the longer term. And then once, you know, as that proposition firms up and more and more people recognize that, we'll, we'll transition into becoming more of a medium of exchange and, hey, if we're lucky, even a unit of account. And the future that I see is, is that some people see a winner-take-all uh, future to cryptocurrencies like, oh, you know, if it isn't Bitcoin, it's worthless. But, you know, my view of it is it's going to be similar to banking and, and many other uh, domains that we see, which is that there's going to be several major, uh, you know, major players in the future and who they are and how they operate is, you know, that's what's being determined right now and, you know, in, in recent history, just in the past few years. So my, my hope is, is that Decred can continue to evolve in a way that, that keeps it sufficiently cutting edge, that it acts as a strong store of value and that, uh, you know, it's one of the few that's left standing at the end of it. 
and our hope is is that the sustainability that comes from the uh, you know the uh, treasury funds is enough to really keep us kicking. And you know, there's a few things that are coming. Uh, one of the things that's coming is is that we're fully decentralizing the treasury. It is at least nominally centralized in terms of releasing payments. We're going to turn that payment release process into a fully decentralized thing where people actually vote on the transactions. And then there's more privacy stuff in the pipeline. There's there's enough of it to uh, you know probably keep us busy for six to twelve months to really sort of close all the all the gaps. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, uh, it's a lot of information that we went through, but I, I love the focus that you guys are taking on uh, decentralization and privacy and, uh, and really pushing that forward. I mean, it's just something that we need. We're seeing it all around the world right now with Hong Kong and China, that it's just, uh, we need to push back against that tide. So I love to see that. I know you have a bunch of good information that you update pretty regularly on the Decred uh, website. Like you have a pretty good blog that's there. Uh, where else do people go to learn or keep up with the project or, or yourself? So the, uh, the the revolution will not be centralized, but our chat pro, uh, but our chat platform is. So uh, you can go to chat.decred.org. Um, most of us who are you know uh, project contractors were on Matrix, but we bridge uh, Discord and Slack, and I believe we also have some Telegram. So we 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 cover a whole bunch of different platforms for our communications. And then in terms of learning more, if you're interested in learning more about, you know, the, the details of things that we discussed on here, you can go to docs.decred.org. And, uh, you know, for everything else that you can, you can hit us up on chats and, and we can, we can redirect you wherever you need to be. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jake, I appreciate you taking the time to explain that to us. Um, really interesting stuff. And, and uh, thank you. Thanks, Mark. Hey, if you like this episode of the Market Disruptors podcast, please help us take this to the top of the podcast charts. Just please do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Taking 15 seconds to just leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us reach more people and disrupt more markets. I really appreciate you listening, and I'll see you next time on the Market Disruptors podcast.